Hello, everybody. Welcome to Branding Bud Live, the web, the live stream, the weekly live stream that's 100% THC, 0% WTF. Every week we bring cannabis people together to talk about the business of cannabis. I'm David Palaszczuk, the founder of Branding Bud Consulting Group and the author of Branding Bud, The Commercialization of Cannabis, the first book on cannabis branding. And I'm joined by my co-host, Adriana Hemans, a marketing executive with over eight years experience in the cannabis industry and my BCF, best cannabis friend. Hey, Adriana. Hi, my BCM, David. I'm so happy it's Thursday. I'm so excited to be here talking about this topic with you. I kind of feel like it's almost long overdue in a way because it's so the this topic you've developed is like woven into everything that you talk about, but we've never like really dived in on the show. So I'm really looking forward to it. And I want to say hi to Todd. Thank you for joining. Um, and for anyone else who's just joining and maybe hasn't been to Branding Bud Live before, something to remember is that we strongly encourage uh, participation. So don't be shy about saying hi, let us know where you're from and we'll, uh, we'll just have a big conversation. That's what we do. We bring great guests, great people to have great conversations and we always ask that the audience participate. So we're super excited and you're right. Um, a lot of things that we've chatted about are always about you know, the consumer and cannabis brands and how they interact with each other. Um, we always talk about consumer personas and then cannabis brand archetypes and, and how those things come together. So I'm looking forward today about chatting about that. Um, yep. Some of the Hi, Trista from Usually Warm Minnesota. Thanks for joining. Sorry to cut you off, David. No, that's fine. It's been unusually warm all over the country, it seems. But uh, I guess one week is different than the next week. So, so congratulations that it's unseasonably warm. Enjoy it today. We're going to be chatting about a few things, um, cannabis brand archetypes, obviously, and the 14 cannabis brand archetypes, but um, specifically, what is a cannabis brand archetype and, and why is it important and how can we use it? Are cannabis brand archetypes mutually exclusive? Because that's one of the questions I always get, you know, well, you've categorized these so perfectly, you know, is there any overlap? And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. And then how can we use these things? brand archetypes to um, manage a brand and really stay on course as we're as we're speaking to our specific customer segment that you know that the brand resonates with. So we're going to be chatting about all of that and I'm super excited about it. Lots to cover. <laughs> Lots to cover. Yeah, let's kick it off. So David, why don't you do, like level set for us and just start off with the basic question, what is a brand archetype? Well, I mean, essentially, a brand archetype is a shortcut, right? It's it's a shortcut in terms of, um, uh, you know, I'll use this example. It's almost like a, if you were to listen to three seconds of music. If you were to listen to three seconds of music, you would know immediately, is it classical? Is it jazz? Is it country? Is it hip hop, etc.? And you would know within those three seconds whether it appealed to you or it didn't appeal to you. And whether you knew the track, the song or not, you would know the style and you would know immediately if this is something, hey, I'm interested in or no, I'm not. And that in a nutshell is really what a brand archetype is. You know, it's the look and feel of a brand and how we use packaging and color and fonts and all of the other hooks, if you will, to appeal to specific customer segments and, and to attract them immediately. Mm -hmm. So the packaging, the coloring, all the things that go along with like that visual representation of a brand, 
is like the first few seconds of a song. And then if you're actually like drinking or smoking the product, then that would be kind of like the hook. Well, I mean, the hook is literally the visual, right? Right immediately. Like, let's just say if you're into, let's say sustainability and you see mm -hmm. a cannabis package that you know is either upcycled or recycled or can be upcycled or recycled. Um, let's say there's um, a craft paper look and feel to it. You see that it's printed with soy ink. Um, you know, those are the hooks that you immediately mm -hmm. say, oh yeah, this is, you know, this brand is speaking to me. I can purchase it. And, and of course, right now we're talking about really the exterior packaging, but you know, if, if you have, um, well, let's just say if you have a sustainable brand, then, then you need to start with your product and what's in, in your product, what your product is and what it's about. And if that's your North star and, and you know, North, uh, if that's your moral compass that you set for the company, then you need mm -hmm. to start with what's in your packaging. But what ends up on, on a shelf um, and someone's looking at, across a hundred packages, then it's those hooks that are, you know, the craft paper or the soy ink or the, you know, if it's the luxury brand, you know, maybe it's the gold foil, whatever it is that catches our attention. Um, those are the things that, that really separate from the get-go. So, so a brand archetype cool. to me is starts off with, of course, on one end, the company's mission and objective and promise. And then on the other end, how that's delivered to people and how it's delivered with those things that we understand as consumers um, right off the bat. And we're, we're all consumers. We purchase things all the time and we look at packaging all the time and either it appeals to us or it doesn't and it does it for specific reasons. And right now we're consuming Branding Bud Live. Uh, we have a question from Harris. Does this relate to Jungian archetypes used in marketing? Thank you for your question. Yeah, I, I mean, yes, in, in some ways. And God, I could, I guess I could even, um, you know, tie it back to, uh, is it Maslow's uh, hierarchy? You know, it's sort of, we take care of our most basic needs um, first. And, and then as we take care of those, food, shelter, clothing, you know, then, then we could move toward the more luxurious things in life and sort of ascend up that pyramid. But yeah, in, in many ways, it does come back to who, who we think we are, who we want to be, and how we associate the products that, <clears throat> you know, that, that uh, we buy to, to bolster or, or to, you know, really make the case for ourselves that we are that person either that we think we are or that we want to be. And it's funny too, Adriana, let me just pause really quickly because this really begs, I mean, that question sort of begs the, the um, how we've changed our approach to branding and brands over the course of, of decades. So let me just talk about that super quickly. You know, in the 50s and 60s, after the war and after, you know, industrialization or way after industrialization, but after the war, everything, when everybody came back, the GIs came back, it was really about efficiency. So it was about, you know, um, sliced American cheese and it was about toasters and it was about miles per gallon. And so we kind of lived through that and, and, and bought products that were all about efficiency. And then you know, into the next generation, maybe the 60s and 70s, it was more about not miles per gallon, but miles per hour. It was more about how we felt as we were, you know, using these products, 
you know, then as we moved into the 80s and 90s, it was more about, I call them skins. It was more about what brands you wore or didn't wear that would, you know, it was tribalism, right? It was like who you associated and who you didn't. Supreme is a perfect example of one of the bigger brands that wouldn't let people in their store to buy their products if they didn't think that people looked the part. So, you, you know, there was that. And then finally we moved into where we are today, which is really, we believe in the brands and we buy products because we believe in the same things that the brands um, believe in. And, you know, that might be a seventh generation um, uh, laundry product. That might be a Patagonia. That might be a Tesla, you know, movement or a Prius, um, you know, but these are the things we, we do to associate ourselves with brands. And today it's, it's, we purchase brands because we're aligned. They align with our beliefs. Right. There, we expect them to have a mission and communicate that mission to us, That's which right. I think is interesting. That's right. Um, so David, in your book, you talked about 14 cannabis brand archetypes. Are there only 14? Just to clear that up quickly. And hi, Caleb and Robin. Thank you for joining us. Long yeah. overdue hi. Well, I mean, to, to clarify that question, are there only 14 uh, cannabis brand archetypes? Well, um, the answer is yes and no. And, and so what I have been able to do over the course of my 12 years in the industry is call out these types um, and these archetypes. Now, the truth is, in the last couple of years, there's actually been two more that I've noticed. Um, and the truth is that there should be more, right? There should, um, let me say, I'm not the only one to call, you know, to, I, I shouldn't be the only one to call out the, the brand archetypes for the industry. We all should have a say in that. Um, but I think what we'll notice, like people, um, things evolve. And, you know, what was important to us many years ago uh, might not be important to us today. And what's important to us today might not be important to us many years from now. So mm -hmm. that being said, you know, what's trending in our society, what's important to us because of social, um, uh, you know, social causes and all the other things that are going on, whether it's war or all the other things we're, we're living through, those including a pandemic, those are the things that drive um, trends and drive arch new archetypes. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, you know, when we come to the value brands, you know, value brands really popped up during the pandemic because people were buying in bulk because they wanted more value because they didn't want to connect with people during the pandemic. So there's different reasons why um, things happen. But right now there's 14 cannabis archetypes, uh, certainly in my book. And I have two other ones that are sort of popping their, their heads up. And, and again, as time goes on, there should be more than just 14. That's my opinion. Yeah. Oh, and I should mention too, that we have all of this in a PDF that we will send to you um, for anyone who wants to go and go to brandingbud.com and sign up for the newsletter. Uh, and then you can pour over it in as much detail as you want. I know that might be a little bit hard to read because they're so content rich. Uh, so, David, are, are brand archetypes mutually exclusive? No, that's that's another thing which is really important. Um, brand ar archetypes are not mutually exclusive. There's many overlaps. Um, and I'll just give one example. Um, the brand, which I don't believe is around any, any longer, which is Whoopi and Maya, which is Whoopi Goldberg. So in, the, in that case, um, 
Whoopi and Maya uh, put out products that were specifically geared toward women. And they also had a, char a charitable component to the brand. So not only did you have Whoopi Goldberg, which is a celebrity, you also had the, um, the gender components uh, to it. And you also had um, the charitable cause component to it. But what it does is allow you to step back and say, okay, cool, we see there's a celebrity, there's a charity here, it's focused on women. Okay, cool. And within that, then, you know, that's your North Star, that's your parameters where you can start to really market and target and speak to the women who want to use this product and care in the, in the causes that you care in. So it's just, these are things that are really important to sort of figure out either when building a brand or, um, or when managing and maintaining a brand, because it just reminds mm -hmm. you who are we speaking to and, and what do they want? Thank mm -hmm. you. Which is something that we talk about all the time is know your customer know them inside and out, know their drivers, know what, what they're looking to do. And then the other components of branding will, will be easier to tackle. Thanks for your comment, Eileen. David's book is phenomenal. Thank you for that. Um, what, so, and looking at brands and figuring out like which archetypes they may fall into, what, are there certain elements that, you know, may influence that more than others? Yeah, definitely. And, and I could talk about that in, in a moment, but you know, we always have our audience participation, so we should definitely flow into that and ask our audience. But you know, at a high level, we could talk about you know logos, and we could talk about all sorts of other things. But but really, let's break it down to its most basic. Um, and the, the most basic are colors, shapes, numbers, and letters. And the science shows us that we're actually pretty lazy. Um, and so, so with that, we'll ask our first question. Of the following brand elements, which is the most important for a brand? Uh, color, shape, numbers, or letters? Mm -hmm. And what do we remember the most when we think about a brand? Mm -hmm. yep. Take a guess, drop it in the chat. We'll reveal the answer in just a moment. Um, David, I'm curious, you were talking a minute ago about how brands, brand archetypes can evolve over time, which I thought was really interesting. And I, in my brain, I came back to this example of like Coca-Cola, or we can think of other examples of hundred year old brands, right? That when they first started out, they were probably maybe even a novelty archetype and now they're tradition and nostalgia. So, uh, I'm, I'm excited to dig into that with you. I think that's a really interesting way to think about, um, how a brand can age almost like a human can. Absolutely. And, and probably even more importantly, the memories of that brand that are carried with us. And, and yeah, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. Cool. Yeah. We have one, two, three, six votes for A, color, and two votes for D, letters. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Well, why don't we, um, why don't, Adriana, what do you think about this? Well, my first choice would be color because there's so much emotional, you know, a, a, an emotional hook, as you would say, with, with colors. But I think letters is also a good guess. There's that principle of like people who, um, people choose names that are similar to like if they have it, if they share a first letter. So like your, your, first name starts with the letter D. So you're more drawn to like brand names or words that start with the letter D. For me, it would be A. So I, I do think that that D is a good 
is a good guess too. That's interesting. Well, wow. All right, well, let's jump to the slide and see what happens. Hello, Aaron Sals, welcome. Well, brands and color. So the, the, the answer is color. Um, Katie, Aileen, Paul, and Todd all got it right. Good job. Yep, yep. The answer is color. And uh, so most people remember color. Uh, and, and Charlene got it right too. Congrats, Charlene. Sorry, David. No, it's fine. It's fine. So color, and then followed closely by shapes, symbols, numbers, and and, and letters, and then finally assembling those letters into words. So, um, so it's pretty interesting when you think, um, I don't know, I guess I, in some ways I want to call us humans lazy, but it's really the path of least resistance, right? You know, it's sort of you see the color first, you see the shape, you assemble it all together, then you have to read, you know, when you have to finally read. And if you don't need to, you don't need to. So um, it's really intriguing how the mind works and how we, we, we look for the, for the easiest path. Right. Well, I mean, our brains are processing so much all the time. Who could blame us? It's <laughs> the processing power, you know what I mean? You're doing a great job, us humans, aren't we? <clears throat> Cool. So let's jump in. Let's talk about the actual archetypes. Okay, let's do it. What are we starting off with? Let's see. What's up first? Here it comes. The Counterculture. Next. Ooh. Okay, so before we jump into talking about how this plays out in the cannabis market, I just want to share, when I see this, what I think of is a, a more mainstream example, although they're now getting into cannabis too, is Ben and Jerry's. And the reason for that is they tend to stand up for social issues. They, um, maybe not so much now, but I guess in the earlier days when they came around, what was it, like the 80s? They were sort of on the fringes, right? They were like this kind of like weird uh, offbeat ice cream brand. Um, and I think they're a good example of, of counterculture. Do you agree, David? I do, yeah. <clears throat> they're a great, it's, I mean, Ben and Jerry's is a great example of a brand that started off as a counterculture brand and still is, but really has had this arc across counterculture into, into the mass market. So they're, they're a great company, you know, that, that represents a whole bunch of things to a whole bunch of different people. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and how they worked with causes and charities <clears throat> is pretty, pretty amazing. You know, and it's interesting too, just to talk about that for a moment. Um, you know, the the Ben's Best Cannabis brand, um, created by Ben of Ben & Jerry's, um, you know, one of the reasons he created it is uh, they actually have low THC in their products. And, and one of the reasons for creating this product was um, he was actually smoking with a friend and said, this is way too strong. What happened to the good old days when we could just sit down and and smoke a whole joint together and, and not get so stoned? So... In many ways, that product is based on uh, on nostalgia, and they did actually lots of testing, and and so their pre rolls are, um, uh, I think it's eight percent THC per per pre roll, which is fairly low, um, right. you know, less than half of of a lot, um, maybe even less than half of probably the minimum uh, that stores would even take products in. So it's just interesting to see this pushback and this and this fallback to nostalgia. But, you know, I should just start off quickly by saying all cannabis brands by nature are counterculture brands. Um, 
you know, so that's sort of built into the genetics of, of cannabis brands from the get-go. But that said, there are more, uh, there are, are brands that really lean into the counterculture brand, like the one we have here uh, called Hellevated. Um, you know, and just, just through their graphics, just through their imagery, just through their name, um, you know, they just push the envelope a little bit, a little bit further. Mm -hmm. And what about a brand like, um, sorry, it's escaping me right now. They have the EDM and the, uh, rock and roll pre-rolls, mm -hmm. our friend Keeve. Yeah. Yeah. Would that be an example of counterculture? Uh, it, it would be, sure. I mean, that's a perfect example. So you're talking about Engager Brands and their two brands. Thank you. Yeah, which is called Neon Roots, which appeals to uh, EDM um, listeners. And then they have Heavy uh, heavy Grass, which is really a heavy metal um, brand. And, you know, what I love about that, Adriana, you said earlier about knowing who your consumers are. I mean, wow, if you have a heavy metal cannabis brand, not only do you know who they are, you know what they like or what their general preferences are and you know actually where they show up. So once you start mm -hmm. figuring out what the heavy metal, you know, what Metallica and all the death metal bands are doing and where they are, you know, you can then start to pretty much figure out a strategy to reach those people. And that's what they're doing. You know, they're, they're selling non-cannabis heavy grass merch um, at all of these big events, which then, you know, really converts the heavy metal listener into like, hey, wait, there's a cannabis brand for me. And and then, of course, that brand speaks to them in a way that, you know, they love to be spoken to. Yeah. We talk about this all the time about being too general can alienate people. If you're like, we're making stuff for everyone. And then it's just so corporate looking. But if it's something like, wow, I'm really interested in pre-rolls. Wow, I'm really interested in heavy metal. Oh, my gosh, this is combined together. They really know who I am. And that's how you build like a strong relationship. Right. Uh, so what's next on the list? What is next? Let's go. Nostalgic. Well, you know what's interesting about nostalgic? Um, the older, well, I'll start off by saying the older you get, the more nostalgic we become. So that's that's just a rule, um, which lead, leads into my, my next favorite uh, a quote, which is youth is wasted on the young, but that's only because I'm getting older. Um, so, you know, we have seen um, nostalgic brands sort of make, really not make a comeback, but sort of show up, you know, and they've shown up in, in ways that as cannabis becomes legal in states and older people sort of come back into the fray and they're saying, hey, I'll smoke again. I'll, I'll, I used to smoke in college or I used to smoke now, I'll give it a go again. We find brands that are <clears throat> are appealing um, to older people, um, you know. And there's also uh, lots of scientific evidence that shows people pretty much listen to the same music or return to the same music uh, from the ages from music they listen to from the ages of 16 to 26. So, and I'm, I'm guilty of that. I, I listen to the same music over and over again, and it's definitely from that period. But um, what's interesting is it's that same sort of thing. We always hearken back to things that remind us of our, of our golden moments. And, um, and I think the older we get, the more we do that. So now that there's, you know, a wisdom crowd, if you will, coming back into cannabis and consuming cannabis, I think there's a need 
um, and a desire to appeal to that that older that older crowd. And there are some some brands that um, you know I could call out. You know, like Vacation is one of them. Um, I have Old Pal, you know, which is uh, also falls into that category. Pabst Blue Ribbon, you know, like when you think about it, of course. Perhaps Blue Ribbon ties into that. Also, some of the celebrity brands, Cheech and Chong, um, Santana, Jerry Garcia, you know, these are, and a whole bunch of others, but these are some of the brands that really tie, you know, tie us back to those moments. You know, um, I'm sure most of us can think of a specific song uh, or, or hear a song, and it just brings us back to a certain time and a place. And, and I think that's what they're trying to appeal to here. Yeah. Thinking that my golden moments happened between the ages of 16 and 26 is a very depressing thought, <laughs> but I can see how like that experience of consuming cannabis, which for most people who are current consumers probably happened at that age, uh, is a good is a good play. And then adding in some branding elements that also tie in with, with remembering that experience could be super effective. Yeah, yeah. You know, so so really, and vacation's a great name. I mean, if someone is, you know, let's just say, whether they're, I was going to say, a, a casual consumer, but even if they're not, you know, I'm going to take a vacation. You know, it just it just yeah. fits in. So works on many levels. Yeah, I have a couple of examples, not of brands, but of actual campaigns from brands outside of cannabis. Um, one is the McDonald's throwback campaign where they reintroduced old retro classics like the McRib and the High C drink. And the second one is the Nintendo's classic edition console where they had mini versions of the classic consoles from the 1980s and 1990s, which I love a classic video game. So I was definitely the target market for that uh, for that campaign. <laughs> Yeah, who doesn't love something classic? I mean, and and you see it all the time. Um, God, you, you know, uh, Arizona iced tea for 99 cents came back and they made a big, you know, I guess last year that was a sort of big thing. And, uh, you know, it's just, um, yeah, we even see uh, the Halloween retro campaign was bananas. But yeah, it... it Thanks for your comment, Lauren. Yeah, it just, uh, it keeps coming back, right? So... Um, so why not use it? And also different iterations, right? You know, as things come back, it's it's <clears throat> similar but different. And as consumers, that's what we're always looking for. Most people want, other than consistency, there are certain things you always want consistency. But if you're looking for something new, you, you as a consumer typically want something uh, similar but different. Speaking of something new... Should we talk about our next, uh, the next event? <laughs> and while we're going through this, uh, for people who are, who are listening or watching, feel free to uh, chime in with some examples that you can think of that may yeah. exemplify the archetypes we're discussing. And also, too, people people that are listening right now are in different regions. So, you know, there's different brands that exemplify these different archetypes in different, slightly different ways in different regions. Um, but you know, and that was really one of the things that got me off on this, that got me started on this. I mean, back in the day, someone would just show up with, with a Ziploc bag, you know, and there was no brand. And then it went from dime bags to dosed portions. And all of a sudden there were farm brands because the farmers and the cultivators really 
needed to sort of get their name out there. And then before you know it, everyone caught on and said, wait a second, we're selling to consumers. Let's treat them like, like consumers. Yeah. So, so tell us about what, what this image is. Well, this is actually um, a brand called Impeachments. They were peach flavored cannabis infused mints. Uh, this was launched by Evergreen Herbal in Seattle, Washington. Um, and this was obviously during when Trump was president. Um, you, you know, the, the brand and the company wanted to send a message out. This was during all of the, the impeachment activity. Um, so uh, it, it, it was interesting. And it was interesting to see how some people really loved it and, and bought into the impeachment. And then other people, uh, whether they believed in impeachment or not, um, you know, the, 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 the graphic image of, of, of Trump on, on their cannabis package was not something they were interested, interested in having. So this was a double-edged sword. Um, but, uh, you know, Paul, um, you bring out Tyson Bites, you're right, both novelty and celebrity, exactly. Um, that's exactly right. You get it. A for the course. Bye, Tom. So, you know, and, and, and I think too with Tyson, Tyson Bites and for those who don't know what that is, you know, they're, they're a gummy in the shape of an ear with a bite taken out of it. And that goes back to his, um, his fight with Evander Holyfield. Um, but that also was a double-edged sword. A lot of people, um, you know, didn't like that and, and didn't feel that, um, uh, you know, that was appropriate. So um, very tasteful. Very tasteful ear-shaped gummies. That's right. Glenn's, I can't imagine why it would be polarizing. I have a feeling Glenn's a little sarcastic. <laughs> All right, what do we have next? Well, the foodie brand, and, and I think, you know, or the foodie archetype. And I think, you know, this just mimics what's taking place in society, right? You know, the, the, the farm-to-table movement, the understanding of what's in our food and what we're putting in our body. Um, you know, the gluten-free movement, the keto movement, you know, the paleo movement, like all of these things certainly are make, are making their way, um, you know, into, uh, into cannabis. And, and so these are the things that, uh, you know, that, that are appealing to cannabis consumers. Why? Because cannabis consumers are consumers. Right. And, and this is perfect that we're talking about Kiva as an example, because we have uh, Lauren McNaughton, who just commented about the Halloween retro campaign, is the director of brand marketing. Welcome. Right on. Welcome. Well, there you go. Yeah, Kiva is just a perfect example of that. Um, you know, there's, uh, who else? There's uh, Rose, Rose Los Angeles, Rose LA, another sort of very high-end foodie um, product. Um, in Seattle, Washington, there's... Um, Craft Elixirs in Pioneer Squares, and they make um, all of their product from organic uh, fruits bought at um, farmers markets directly from the directly from the farmers. So you know, there's a lot of attention that's put into this, and and a lot of people really care about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do have interesting flavors, and we'll have to get um, updated packaging from you, uh, Lauren, next time we talk about Kiva. Sorry about that. Sorry. Well, all right. Let's let's uh, let's go on to our next one. What, what are we talking about next? Regional. Regional. Well, regional is really, <clears throat> excuse me, interesting because when you when you think of regional, you know, 
let's just even step back for a moment before we get into cannabis brands. I mean, for me, regional goes back to land race strains, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm already thinking of Maui Waui and Acapulco Gold and Durban Poison and a few others that I have written down here as well. Hindu Kush, uh, Humboldt OG, and I know everybody's going to start popping in their regional, regional strains. But, you know, so when you think of it, <clears throat> in many ways, cannabis is regional. Um, but but over over the course of time, um, everybody knows you know uh, it it's evolved. Um, I guess is the best way to keep it simple. Um, you know, so in that sense, it's really interesting how now in some ways some companies are reassembling uh, genetics from certain places and then branding them in a certain way, or like uh, Lake Grade and some of the others, they are. Um, they, they grow in a certain region um, and, you know, they have worked hard with the state. For example, many brands have worked hard with the state of California to call out certain regions or, or appellations, very much like um, takes place in France with uh, Champagne and Cognac um, and those types of things. So, um, so there's a big push for regional, but I, I think the, and I'm using this term too much here today, the double-edged sword with regional is that, you know, the truth is today, most cannabis is grown indoors, right? So, so you know, if you're growing Maui Waui, you could really be growing that anywhere or Durban Poison, you know, it, it could be grown anywhere versus the original, um, you know, original point of, of, uh, of being. So, so there's some interesting things there just around regional. There's some, you know, controversy, I'll call it, but for sure there are brands, um, you know, and Aaron is listening right now. I'll, I'll even call out Mocha Humboldt, um, you know, uh, as, as a brand that is regionally based and, um, you know, and for that matter, won a number of gold awards at the California State Fair this year. So genetics and region are very important to, uh, to brands and their success. We did a really interesting study about Appalachian designations for cannabis with consumers and asking them questions about um, what what do you associate with cannabis that's grown in certain areas? And we asked about Humboldt. We asked about different parts of the Emerald Triangle. We asked about um, uh, Santa Barbara. And what was interesting is that they didn't necessarily associate like quality with the with the cannabis itself, but they associated that with the growers. So there was a feeling like they wanted to support um, support the organization and the growers that they knew knew their stuff basically, not so much the product itself, which I thought was really interesting finding. Like they, they want to uh, connect with the brand human to human versus just human to product. Right, right, and and I think that <clears throat> that shows the the love for legacy, you know. Yeah. Um, well, let's uh, let's keep moving. All right. So the next one, um, I'm going to share some examples of brands outside of cannabis that exemplify the next one we're going to talk about. I'll throw them out there. Number one is Goop, also Soul Cycle, Whole Foods, and Peloton. Can you guess what archetype we are talking about? And if you have a copy of David's book, <laughs> then you already know. Also, if you were looking at the screen, you may have had a sneak peek. Maybe, just maybe. Just, so just now, maybe. Uh, Robin has a question. What brand? 
so we did, it wasn't, it was a, a brand agnostic. We asked, uh, I think it was a thousand consumers what words they associate with certain growing regions. And then we had follow-up questions with the, with the survey respondents asking them um, about how that association worked. Was it association with the, with the um, growing techniques, with the product itself, or with the people producing the product? And it was with the, the product. We have one, or sorry, it was with the people. We have a couple of guesses for lifestyle from Charlene and Lauren and Katie's guessing wellness life another lifestyle guess all right let's see should we reveal what it is let's do it let's do it what is it wellness <laughs> it's wellness and you know um <clears throat> Katie got it by the way congratulations Katie you know i'll i'll start off by talking about you know the wellness archetype uh in, in a country, let's just start off by saying in a country that is not healthy and not necessarily well, um, it's no surprise that there's a movement and, and again, a counterculture movement, you, you know, for natural, um, you know, natural wellness and natural products. And there's no reason why, or, or there's, yeah, there's no reason why cannabis shouldn't fit into that, you know, and so we've seen cannabis products in the wellness category, you know, more often than not move away from smoking and vaping, but focus on topicals and lotions and uh, transdermal patches and sublingual slips and, and a whole bunch of other form factors that, um, that make sense. And, and so again, just really like the foodie category, the wellness category, um, you know, makes total sense. And, and we even see it seeping into health and beauty, right? You know, with mm -hmm. products in the mass market. But I think over time, for sure, um, there's no doubt in my mind, cannabinoids will end up in wellness, health, and beauty products outside of the cannabis space. And, you know, my prediction is one day, you know, there'll, there'll be a scope mouthwash or a Crest toothpaste with cannabinoids in it that, you know, help the lining of your mouth or, or help the with the health uh, and benefits of benefits your gums. I just think we will get to that place in the future, but uh, we're still a long way off. It's interesting you bring that up. And we were just talking about Whole Foods as a wellness brand. Uh, Whole Foods was my client and we worked with them to make a strategy for them bringing a, a CBD infused beauty product line into their stores. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, yeah, it's already happening. We see a lot of beauty brands and we had our, our guest has our Florio who does not beauty, but what wellness um, in, and products infused with CBD and like the really high potency stuff. So yeah, definitely exciting to see that evolution. And I agree with you, Katie, that lifestyle is a good guess too. It's interesting that like wellness and lifestyle, that wellness has almost been like elevated to almost like a celebrity status uh, and that they're so intertwined. So yeah, I feel yeah. like they're very, very interrelated. Yeah. Lifestyle almost seems like a blur between, well, lifestyle could be all sorts of things. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, all right. What do we have? What's, what's our, what's our next uh, brand archetype? Celebrity. Wow. Well, you know, I, I think everybody has seen where we are in terms of um, celebrity uh, and celebrity brands. Right now, I believe there's over 60 celebrity brands 
Um, and if you don't believe me, you can check Celeb Stoner, which is Steve Bloom's <laughs> site, um, which just really talks about all of the celebrities and how they're tied into the cannabis industry. Um, but uh, last count I know he had, um, it was it was 54. And that was just, uh, just a few months ago. And there's been plenty of brands, plenty of celebrities that have come into the market. Um, you know, and it's, it's interesting here, I think, uh, I think celebrity brands, uh, initially, you know, my question was, what do celebrities offer a value to the industry? And I was really down on celebrity brands for quite some time, but I've reconsidered that. And the truth is, what do they do? They normalize cannabis. And the more celebrities that are in cannabis or invest in cannabis, um, they, they normalize it. And, and so, uh, so now I, I actually think really different about celebrity brands. Um, you know, I, th I think they'll just bring more people into it and, and it will be more, more accepted. Um, that said, should we have a question from Glenn about what was archetype number one? And the answer is, what was archetype number one? Counterculture. Counterculture. Yeah, and, and Glenn, um, just so you know, and for, for everyone, we are, are sending a PDF with all of this info to anyone who wants to sign up for their, our newsletter on brandingbud.com. So go ahead and, and do that, and you can get all the exciting details. Yep, we've got a really, really cool PDF, and the PDF is available at brandingbud.com if you sign up for our newsletter. Well, archetype number eight is prohibition. And there's lots of brands that basically, you know, run their brand story parallel to alcohol prohibition. Legal is just one of them. There's there's a whole bunch. There's prohibited. There's proof. Um, even Lowell Smokes is tied back to their backstory is tied back to prohibition. So, um, you know, there's there's no doubt that this is the good fight. We're all fighting for it. We know what it's about. And, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And that's really how prohibition brands tie back into cannabis. Should we go to brand archetype number nine? Ooh, we are just zooming through. We are. Art and design. Well, of course, I love art and I love design. So art and design and cannabis come together in a wonderful way for me. Um, there are a number of brands that leverage art and design into their products and into their branding in ways that others just quite haven't realized in, you know, why it's important. But you know, consumers pay attention to details. Um, and details really make up typically a, typically make up a great product. So we have a photograph here of Saints Joints. Um, Saints Joints is uh, uh, based in uh, Washington. Actually, they're originally based in Washington, but um, now in California and Oklahoma, uh, they work with artists uh, to create limited edition boxes. They also work with tattoo artists, um, and then they also even create themes, if you will, when the boxes are all lined up, they create uh, images that weren't there on their own. So they've created, uh, you know, collectible packaging in a way that uh, that makes sense. And they really have a great following. And there's other brands like Wonder Bread and, and a number of other really cool brands that, um, you know, that use art uh, in, in new and interesting ways. And, and even just calling out Mocha Humboldt again on the inside of their packaging too. They use local artists and we've seen that, you know, and that's something that really builds community. So that's really important, you know, to work with local artists as well as, you know, known, well-known artists. 
And what I love about Saints Joints is they also had that packaging that was blank that people could draw their own package on, which I thought was really cool. You're like really bringing the consumer into an immersive art-based experience. Right. Right. So what do you think? I think we are out of time, which is so sad. We still have more to cover. I think so too. You know what I think? I think we need to cover more brand archetypes um, at another time. But I think for the folks that have listened so far, um, if you're interested, um, again, please sign up uh, at our, for our newsletter at brandingbud.com and we will email you a PDF which covers all 14 brand archetypes. Um, and then maybe when we come back to this next time, we'll, we'll even drop number 15 and 16, um, which, uh, which <laughs> coming into focus. Yeah, we'll do a whole reveal. That's right. Well, we are next week for our show, our show next week on 420. Can you believe it's April 20th uh, already? This I year? can't believe it. Just flown by. So that said, next week we have Aaron Sells, Luca Humboldt, and we have Brett Puffenbarger from Green Check Verified for our 420 free-for-all. So we're going to have a great conversation next week. We've got some really interesting things that we'll bring to the table to chat about. Yeah. We also want um, our guests to show up next week, if you can. I know 420 is crazy for everybody, but come with your questions. We've got some great experts, and uh, we're going to have some fun chatting about um, what's going on in the industry at our 420 free-for-all. Um, yeah, well, we may even or pass again. That's right. If I can talk into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. As always, you know, we're here every Thursday, 11 a.m. PST, 2 p.m. EST. We love chatting um, with our friends and, and our audience. Uh, this was special in today that it was just the two of us going through the 14 cannabis brand archetypes, but we usually bring guests to the table, um, really interesting guests and influencers and We're excited to continue to do that. So thank you, everybody, again. We'll see you next next Thursday for our 420 edition, the 420 free-for-all. And in the meantime, definitely check out um, and follow us on YouTube, follow us on LinkedIn, and don't forget to check out Cannabis's Best Kept Secret at brandingbud.com. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.